0: Welcome to episode 14 of the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. I'm your host Dustin and as always we have with us...
1: It's Apple.
2: You got Josh.
0: And we are bringing you all your comic news, book news, your reviews for the weeks of January 21st and January 28th. We will be talking about a little discussion about if the villain that everyone's been talking about could possibly be coming back in Battle for the Cowl. As well as have our bat books for Beginners segment which is going to be covering Batman Venom. So without putting off it any longer, let's go right into comic news. This town needs an enema. The very first thing we have is on February 13th, Newsarama did its normal Dan DiDio 20 Q&As with him, and there was a couple of things that was talked about as far as Batman that we should really mention. So The first thing was, Newsrama says, To kick things off, Dan, one of the big announcements coming from DC was the new Batman-related titles that are coming out in June. Can you go into any more detail about them than you did at the con? More particularly about the characters that will be appearing in them, their tone, and what niches they'll fill. And Dio's response was, Sure, how about we talk about some of the characters? What you're going to see in Gotham City Sirens is Catwoman, Harley Quinn, and Poison Ivy and some other guest stars along the way, but those will be the three leads in that book, and it picks up directly from Faces of Evil conversation with Hush. In Streets of Gotham, you're going to get a chance to see the supporting cast of Batman's world, meaning that you're going to see Batgirl and Huntress, and the new DEA of Gotham City, Miss Kate Spencer. Naturally, I'm going to be a little more cagey about Red Robin, Batman Robin, and Batman primarily because... Who lands in which book will be determined by who wins the battle for the cow. But obviously, Batwoman Kay Kane is front and center when Detective Comics hits the stands in June. So let's just talk about that real quick.
2: He's being cagey about who's going to be who because of who's going to land there. who. But based on solicitations and various announcements and images that have been released so far, I think that he can pretty much do some math and addition by subtraction on who's going to end up where.
1: Right, you mean like the whole characters from yeah. from the from the picture, right? Just separating them to their own right. titles.
2: Yeah, and I don't know if if we can if if this should be spoiled yet. So I'm not going to say who, but the DC's already leaked who's going to be the Batman with the guns. Oh, we could talk mm-hmm. about
0: that. Let's talk yeah, okay. about that right now.
2: Yeah, we yeah, have So it, it was Jason Todd, you know. So we already know that.
1: Right, um, and which, which,
2: you know, which means that the other Batman is probably going to be Dick Grayson. And if Jason Todd is the gun Batman, that probably leaves Red Robin as Tim, since he was kind of, you know, stepping into that role in the final issues of Robin, which would mm-hmm. leave the regular Robin as none other than little punk Damian Wayne. <laughs> who, um, and, who, and get those 1-900 numbers ready, because unless they change, we will be blowing him up in a few years.
1: Well, see, back in the 80s, they used the 800 numbers, so I guess we're going to 900 so they can charge us. So. I thought
2: it was I thought it was 900 in the in the 80s.
1: No, it was an 800 number.
0: I thought it was a 900 number
1: too. Uh,
0: oh. oh. Anyway, we'll have to check on that. But anyway, yeah. the next question was one question that probably shouldn't be up with the other bad questions. Just ballparking here, we've seen that Batman is alive and living in the past. There are easy ways out of that. You could have Booster Gold find him and pick him up, and there are difficult ways out of that. He could live through a series of lives, which presumably. What the Omega Sanction is about. So what goes into the decision of how Caveman Batman plays out? Well, DiDio answers, there wouldn't be much of a battle for the cowl if we had Booster go back and grab him. Although, from the last panel, it doesn't even look like he needs the cowl. He casts the shadow without it on. Obviously, there's a lot of reasons that go into it. A lot of reasons that are related to telling the best, most dramatic story we can. I can't really go into too much detail about the plans, but I can say the outline and plan for his return is known at this point.
2: I guess it's confirmed that he's in the past then, because people were saying, is he in the, like, some people were guessing that he was in the distant future, and some were saying it's another dimension. Another interesting thing about that panel of him in the cave I was joking a few podcasts ago about how they made it really obvious that it was him, in case you were too stupid. They gave him the bat pants, the belt, the shadow, and he was drawing the bats. Apparently the reason why it was that obvious is because they said in an interview that in the original version of the script, it was a little more ambiguous, and Dan Didato said, make it more obvious. So,
0: now we know. Alright, and then the last question to bring up was, Newsrom asked, what's the current status of all-star Batman and Robin? DiDio answered, nothing but, it is on hiatus. So make sure you head over to Newsrama to check out any other questions. There was a couple questions specifically about Batwoman, but it wasn't anything that we haven't heard about in the past, so there's no real use of going into it. So let's go right into February 16th on comicbookresources.com, they have a I guess an article section on there called "Line in the Gutters." Now, in this we in that week's segment, they posted some stuff related to Batman. They mentioned that Grant Morrison was going to be working with Frank quietly on a Bat book a while ago. That title appears to be Batman Robin with rotating artists, quietly to start the first three issues, with more to come. Somebody else says Philip Tan is going to be up for the next three, followed by Doug Mankey for the next three, and the final three from quietly, as as mentioned, they're they're saying there's a rumor floating around about Batman and Robin only being a 12 issue miniseries. I think we talked about the last podcast, so that would be the order of the artists supposedly. Now none of this is confirmed, but that was what they said. Now the next thing was DC staffers are kind of iffy about whether or not they should continue to do All Star Batman and Robin. They pushed the editor of Batman and Robin first to Vertigo, and then they fired him completely. They diluted Jim Lee's available time and took full advantage of Batman swearing and issues in terms of internal squabbling. And now Batman Robin, the series that's coming out in June, is going to be done possibly by the same people who are doing all-star Superman, Grant Morrison, Frank Quietly. So that could be interesting in and of itself.
1: All-Star Batman, I mean, come on, Frank Miller's writing wasn't at best right there. But if they're going to go ahead and bring that back, I mean, and I guess kind of redo what I guess they thought they were going to get. If they can go ahead and get that from Grant Morrison on this one, I I want to see it. I want to see what they offer. But, I mean, I'm, I'm going to miss Jim Lee's artwork.
2: See, there's two Grant Morrisons, though. There's the Grant Morrison, who does the awesome, like, award-winning work, Best Comic in Years on All-Star Superman, then there's the Grant Morrison that writes Final Crisis. What the <laughs> heck is going on here? So it depends on which Grant Morrison's going to be writing this book.
1: Okay, I hope we get the awesome one.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll have Damian Wayne running around in multi-rags saying that he's the Robin of zurena
1: it, it could be, you know, Tommy Elliot and him as Batman and Robin, which would be really interesting to read for 12 issues. <laughs>
0: So then on February 20th, IGN, they started a Battle for the Cow mini site. They launched it, and basically it looks like IGN is going to have all the exclusives when it comes to Battle for the Cow. They were the ones to announce the solicitations for all the Battle for the Cow comics days before they were announced officially. So now it looks like because they're going to have the site dedicated to the event itself, they're going to have a lot of exclusives when it comes to Battle for the Cow, Earlier this week they posted up the variant cover for the first issue of Battle for the Cow, and the end of last week they posted up a video that they interviewed Dan DiDio, Mike Martz, and Tony Daniel talking about it. And we'll talk more about the video in our discussion after the reviews, but it basically looks like IGN is going to be the place to check out when it comes to finding all the information out about Battle for the Cow. And then on February 23rd, the last bit of news we have, there was a Batman artist announced. Newsrama did an interview with Tony Daniel at New York Comic Con that they just posted up. During the interview, a lot of talk was about Battle for the Cow, but there was one tidbit that we didn't know or wasn't talked about in any other interviews. It was Daniel announced that he will be the artist teaming up with Grant Morrison on the Batman main series. He won't be in the first issue in June, but will be around after that issue, so we can expect Tony Daniel to be teamed up with Grant Morrison come July of this year on
1: Batman. Okay, I, I'm, I'm liking Tony Daniels, I, I liked him when he, he had did Spawn back in the day, but his artwork has taken a change ever since he started working for DC, so I, I see it as a, as a plus for him, uh, I'm glad he's liking to do Batman right now. So what are you proposing? It's simple, kill the Batman.
0: That's the end of comic news. Now, this is book news. We only have one book coming out, and it is coming out on March 11th, and it is called Catwoman, The Long Road Home. Selina Kyle is back from the hell planet of Salvation Run, and she's ready to get back in action in this volume, collecting Catwoman, number 78 through 82, the final issues of the series. But to reclaim her place in Gotham City, Catwoman will have to declare war on the city's underworld. This is going to be 144 pages, $17.99 U.S. dollars. So make sure you check that out on March 11th. So that's all the book news. Let's get right into comic reviews. And let's start off with Batman number 685.
2: And here we go. Batman 685, or as I like to call it, don't get Catwoman mad at you, because as we can see from the first page, we have a rhino... And he's kind of knocking around a little sack who is in the sack. Why it is none other than our friend Tommy Elliott, who has the face of Bruce Wayne. <laughs> for those who have yeah, for those who have not been keeping up with now how he's still alive, I don't know. But <laughs> it's a comic book. Suspension of disbelief. If Batman can survive getting zapped by a dark side, then somebody with Batman's face can survive getting knocked around in a sack by a rhino. Now, for those of you who have not been keeping up with this saga here, the last story arc, Tommy Elliott basically got his face plastically reconstructed to look like Bruce Wayne, and he stole Catwoman's heart with some cryogenics, and now she's got it back, and she took his fortune, but he used his looks as Bruce Wayne to get some fortune back, but unfortunately he ran into Catwoman while he was over in Vietnam, and she's like, yeah, this isn't Bruce Wayne. She's captured him and she has some kind of refugees with her and, you know, she's at this camp and she's basically having some fun torturing him, getting him kicked around by the animals and spraying him with a hose, cleaning him up. And then finally she calls him into the tent, having him eat something. And at that point he's like, well, trusting each other now because you know that the food isn't poison. And then he says, well, if you want to kill me, you could have done it a while ago. Now, why hasn't she killed him, and what's her plan, why she called him? Well, apparently, she stumbled upon this place where they're kind of using the animals and exploiting them, you know, selling rhino hides and stuff. She wants his help to dismantle the camp. She helps him. He can go free. He's trying to say, well, what happened with Bruce? And then, you know, Catwoman kind of says, well, while this whole Black Glove thing was happening, I was still recovering from the hospital. And we get a little montage. You see the Batman hooked up to that little machine with the lump. And then Catwoman kind of being quiet, so we can assume that she's heard from Nightwing and the others what happened. Tommy's saying, so Bruce is dead. Catwoman says, MIA. And then Tommy says, right, sure. So he's not so sure if he believes it either. There's two people. They kind of have these little... When I first saw this, until the reveal, which happens later in the issue, I thought this was a little racist. They have the Chinese, you know, cone hats on, or the, the, the South Asia hats. I mean, I guess that they're not from yeah, China, Thailand. but it was like,
3: yeah,
2: yeah. yeah I was like, you know, wow, you know, they're inside of a tent in the middle of the night. Why are they dressed like this? But they're going to help <laughs> Tommy. They're going to help Tommy escape while all this is going on. Of course, he's going to steal some grenade, you know, because he's got his own plan. Of course, the rule is because Catwoman's involved, she doesn't want any killing. So Tommy is helping her out with this, and Catwoman's setting the animals free. Well, the leader of this operation, he starts to shoot at Catwoman. You cost me a lot of money. And then, obviously, she's like, yeah, like, she cares. And then he's like, well, if I'm not going to have you alive, then I'm going to have you as a trophy. But this is Selena Kyle, so she has little furry friends who... And one of them attacked the guy that was holding her at gunpoint. That's the end of Selena Kyle at this point in the story. Tommy Elliott and these two Vietnamese people, or so we think, are getting away. Some of the grenades that Tommy stole, he sets them off, and it looks like it destroyed most of the village. The two Vietnamese people are like, well, that was unnecessary. Apparently, they don't want people to die. Why? Because later on, as they're getting away, Tommy's like saying, hey, listen, you know, I can offer you more money than Catwoman can. They take off their hats, and oh, lo and behold, they're not Vietnamese. They are Nightwing and Robin, and they're like, kind of doubt that, Tommy. So... He thinks he's going to kick their butts, but they basically hand his butt to him within a few panels. And now he's locked up in a tower. He's like, yeah, well, you know, you have Bruce Wayne's face. We can't really put you in Arkham, so <laughs> that wouldn't really work. And he's like, oh, you should have killed me when you had the chance. You don't have the foresight. They're like, yeah, well, like I said, we're going to keep you here for a while. You're under lock and key. And we end with Tommy's inner monologue. He's like, you know what? I will get out of here. I'm going to wait till they let their god down, and I will be ready. So... It says the end, but I have the feeling that Tommy
0: Elliott's story is still just beginning.
4: One hint, the worst is yet to come.
0: Alright, next we have Batman Gotham After Midnight, number 9. Now this continues the story of Batman trying to chase and capture Midnight. The story picks up where the last one ended, where the building exploded with April inside, and Batman rushes into the burning building only to find a corpse that has basically been burned to a crisp. He gets ticked off, tells Commissioner Gordon, watch out, Midnight's changing his M.O. I don't know why he's doing this, but he's changing his M.O. and you could be next. He goes and he grabs some envelopes from April's mailbox and then heads back to the Batcave. Talks to Alfred, sees if there's anything wrong with the Joker, Man Bat, and Scarecrow's blood, and realizes that their blood was basically tainted somehow. And he comes to the conclusion that all three of them were drugged, but Joker was the only one that didn't have any satisfactory results. So he tells Alfred, do some more checking. I want you to use x-ray, infrared, microwave, radio, magnetic, gamma, every, everything you could possibly imagine to see if this has any reaction. So then we get a point where these crime bosses in Gotham are down on the Gotham docks, and they're all talking about how Midnight told them to show up, And Midnight shows up and says, I'm glad you all showed up unarmed like you were told. All the crime bosses pull their guns and say, do you think we're stupid? Next thing you know, these little things come down and all of their hearts are pulled out. So now all of the crime bosses are now dead. Next thing you know, Batman is now Bruce Wayne and goes to the house of somebody who sent April a Christmas card. Turns out it's her uncle. She talks to him and he tends to find out that she moved out when she was 18, hasn't really really kept in contact with him, and Batman realizes that the other guy who wrote April a card, his name is Dunkirk, who owns a business, Alfred calls him up and says, Dunkirk, there's only one thing that's kind of abnormal about him, he's been buying a ton of top hats. So, Batman puts back on the back costume, heads over to Dunkirk Industries, goes into the office, sees all these top hats, and is assuming that it is Midnight sitting there, and says, I've got you now. Lo and behold, he turns the chair around, and it's a guy who looks very similar to Alfred. Now, I can't tell if it is Alfred, I'm assuming it's not, because Bruce did do some kind of conclusion that Midnight does not know Batman is Bruce Wayne, But there's some guy who looks very similar to Alfred, missing his heart, lying there dead. Then it comes out that Midnight is actually working with Catwoman, and the next issue will take place around Valentine's Day, being called Heartbroken. And we'll do a review review wrap-up with this one, but there's a reason why I'm giving it such a short description.
3: We'll see what the truth is.
0: Alright, so that brings us into our next one, which is Superman-Batman Annual Number 3. Now, this kind of takes place outside of the current storyline with Batman having Superman's powers and Superman having no powers. This is kind of its own story, and as we talked, the three of us talked about this before, it really just seems like it's a remake of an original World's Finest Story, and that's what it seems like. We first start off with Firefly working with Mr. Freeze, you know, hot and cold, working together. Batman's trying to take him out, and just as Batman loses the upper hand, suddenly, somebody shoots lasers down, knocks off Mr. Freeze and Firefly's guns, so Batman can take him down. Takes him down, assumes it was Superman, then all of a sudden, this person who shot lasers out of their eyes starts shooting at Batman. This character disappears, then we fly over into... Metropolis, where Superman is battling the Atomic Skull, and someone appears to help out Superman with a Batarang. Superman assumes it was Batman, looks to see. Superman, of course, figures out a way to subdue Atomic Skull, goes up to look for Batman, and Batman's not there. Then we go to the Batcave, where Robin and Batman are going back and forth trying to figure out why exactly Superman was trying to fry Batman. When Superman decides he's going to punch a giant hole through the wall of the Batcave and come tumbling into the Batcave. my opinion, why in the world wouldn't he just use an entrance? Anyway, (laughs) going on, they argue back and forth. They realize it's not really them. We get a nice little cool shot of a Batmobile that they're using where it's kind of a mix between one of the original Batmobiles with the Batman shield on the front and then the 89 Batmobile from Tim Burton's movie, which is pretty cool. They go out together to try to figure out what the heck's going on. They find a little piece of something. They don't say what it is. They just say it's something that they're going to do some tests on. turns out they can do a DNA test. And for some reason, it turns out that the DNA has both Superman and Batman's DNA. So they go Mm -hmm. see Professor Ivo in Blackgate Prison, talk to him come to a conclusion that before Ivo perfected Amazo, he had a bunch of failed experiments that he tried combining people's superpowers together, but it didn't work out, and he ended up burying them dead or alive, as he thought they were dead, but burying them, and so Batman comes out after talking to Professor Ivo, talks to Superman, they go to the grave, realize the grave's been completely dug out, then we go back to Metropolis, where Lois Lane is at home, all of a sudden, she gets this big whoosh, and she assumes it's Superman, and then we see who it really is. It's really a composite Superman-Batman, which it's half Batman, half Superman. So this composite Superman-Batman goes and takes out Two-Face at one point. you soon realize that this composite Superman-Batman is having a serious problem with deciding which people to save, whether to save people that are somehow related to Batman or people who are somehow related to Superman. So in the middle of tying up Two-Face, he actually hears a cry for help in the middle of the ocean because a ginormous oil tanker hit an iceberg. He goes out to the ocean, leads Two-Face there. Then to skip ahead because a lot of this is completely irrelevant, you find out that Lois has been taken captive. Then you skip like 5-10 to 10 pages and you find out Robin's been taken captive and... Then this composite Superman is having a battle with Metalo, and while he's having the fight, the real Batman, the real Superman, show up to basically try to figure out what the heck's going on. They turn out, they find out that this composite Superman has the powers of Elongated Man. He has the powers of Red Tornado. He has a bunch of different powers of these characters. He has the powers of the Atom, and he starts to escape. They follow him back to where the, he's been holding Robin and Lois captive, and they basically come to the conclusion that this guy is starting to go nuts because he can't save everyone, and he can't figure out who to save and who not to save. And it all ends up where Batman and Superman play a little game telling him, well, you have to figure out who to save. If you can't figure it out, you're not a good superhero, and he ends up ripping himself in half. And that's the end. (laughs) Superman saves Lois, and Batman takes Robin
1: home. The end. Go with the smile. And that's going to take us into Robin 182. Anarchy. 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 Okay, that's the theme of this issue. Anarchy. And this is not the anarchy that we were kind of expecting. This is actually a new anarchy. So if anybody that was expecting Lonnie Macklin, he's not in this one. The character in this one is actually Ulysses Harden Armstrong. He just took the identity of Anarchy, but he didn't take the same MO as the last Anarchy. And this issue starts off action Pack guys. So if you love action Pack, you're going to love this Robin issue. It starts off with Anarchy trying to cause a lot of mayhem within Gotham. What's he doing is really trying to, what Robin says, is watch th- his city burn. He's just trying to make his city burn. A little take from the Dark Knight, I guess you can kind of say. What then happens is that the gangs are right here. And so the Golden Dragons comes out. And of course, Lynx, who's very cool, comes out. And of course, it's the gangs going at each other. And this is what Anarchy is wanting. He's just wanting a whole mess of mayhem just to go on. Spoiler comes along. Spoiler intervenes and kind of t- tells him that Anarchy is trying to do this to y'all. He, he's just he's trying to play with your head. And so while this is going on, Robin is go- fighting. Robin is in the Red Robin outfit. But it's not the total Red Robin outfit. In in the before the Red Robin, he had black pants. Anyone that, you know, of course, wore the Red Robin outfit had black pants. You can tell that this is Tim by the pants. He's wearing red pants. I guess you kind of say it's a, really a Red Robin. While this is going on, of course, Commissioner Gordon arrives. He's telling the officers and everyone in, under his control to go ahead and spread out, you know, try to you know, take care of the gangs while Robin is really kicking Ulysses' butt. And so it gets to the point where Robin kind of pulled a, a, a Batman. He pulled a Batman and he pulled a card out that he had under his sleeve where he invited one of the officers to bring Ulysses' parents. However, Ulysses' parents also brought his brother and sister. So while this mayhem is going on, the mother and father look up and saying, is that Ulysses? And the father's like, well, that's not our son, you know, our, our son is like... He's like, it's not our son anymore because of what he's become. And so Anarchy then reaches out for his cane, and he's, you know, he's, he's kind of beat up, he's bloody, he's hanging on. And Robin is trying to hold on to him and Anarchy tells him that there's one more bomb, you know, who are you going to save? And, you know, of course the panel span out. To officer harper and it pans out to spoiler and then it pans out back to anarchy and he's telling robin which one are you going to want to save and so robin looks and he's trying to see the spots he notices a mailbox notices the manhole where spoilers at anarchy draws robin goes off to save him he makes the call robin saves officer harper anarchy already had touched the bomb well he put the bomb where his brothers and sisters were and of course, he didn't notice that they were in the car until he was falling off, which was kind of, you know, kind of really sad. You then see Anarchy, and it gives him, well, Ulysses, aka Anarchy in this one, more of a motive to try to kill Robin now, since he, of course, he's going to blame Robin for killing his brother and sister. Commissioner Gordon then sees Robin brings down the officer. He goes, I don't know, t sure. I, I like that decision that you made by calling the parents who brought the kids, and, you know, Robin basically tells them, I told him to bring the parents. I didn't know the parents were bringing the kids and basically he takes off really cool Robin then meets up with spoiler and of course, you know, Robin Kind of takes on the the identity of Batman a little bit, where he's telling her like he's really making his choice about his way of life and really telling her that he better not catch her as spoiler again, and, it, and it's a real good issue. Mm-hmm. It picks up where Michelle Gordon is then promoting Jamie Harper to a detective he goes he's taking her up to the light, and he, he's like just trying to like hand over a new regime to her, and then he goes, "It's time to move forward, you know, Stacy, light the candle, and you see two of them now. One with the bat symbol, you don't see the one yet until the next panel, and it shows a big page with Robin, and in the skyline, you don't see the bat signal. You now see a Robin signal, which was very cool. I could definitely get into the superhero gig.
2: That is going to take us into Birds of Prey 126. This issue of Birds of Prey is continuing off on the long-running storyline of Calculator trying to find out Oracle's true identity, working along with the Syndicate, which the Birds have slowly been dismantling over the last few issues. The cover to this month features the Calculator very prominently because this is part of the Faces of Evil crossover that has been going all over the DCU. Naturally, this book features Calculator actually more so than it does the birds. We start off with the Calculator and Matchmaker very early on in the book. They are watching on a computer screen as one of their plans comes to fruition. They've given a guy a webcam and a hat, and he's going to meet the squirrel in a park and murder her, and Matchmaker's set this thing up over a long period of time. Now, there's lots of construction workers in the park, and this is broad daylight, and you see the guy with the knife behind his back. I suppose he doesn't think anyone's gonna see him. But before he can make his move, Huntress jumps out of the bushes and kicks him in the face. And it's Calculator and Matchmaker. Duh, drat that oracle again. How did she find this out? So, Calculator is ruminating. And he comes up with a plan for the Syndicate to Catch Oracle. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, but it's Kilgree or something like that, so I'm just going to be calling him Kilgree, if that is okay with you. He has internet powers, which I'm not too understanding of, but, eh, oh well. So, Calculator is talking to the other members of the Syndicate, saying Kilgree can go all around the internet. How come he hasn't detected Oracle yet? I think there's something up here, and he arouses suspicion in each of them, Meanwhile, he's also going to Kilgree saying, It looks like everyone thinks you've been compromised. I'm just trying to warn you. Of course, Kilgree's not too happy about this and grabs Calculator and goes to choke him. Now, this was apparently all part of Calculator's plan to get Kilgree mad at him so he can go into his lair and see his hard drive and stuff. Why he had to get Kilgree mad at him to do that, I have no clue. But it's all part of the Calculator plan. Very, very cool and calculated. So, they're, him and the Syndicate, they have this plan, they're going to break into Calculator's lair, steal his hard drive and stuff, and he sends Matchmaker in to do it, while the Syndicate's having a meeting with Kilgree and they're saying, oh, I guess Matchmaker's late or something. Well, obviously the alarm sounds, which Calculator knew was going to happen, and Kilgree gets mad, starts attacking everybody, and this is where it gets kind of odd. He stabs Calculator in the heart during the attack, Supposedly this was part of the plan all along because getting stabbed in the heart in the DCU doesn't do uh, that much to kill you in a world where Jason Todd c- can come back and Superman and Oliver Queen can all come back. Stabbing in the heart was part of the plan because there's nanites inside of his body that's turned him into some sort of copy of Kilgrey and he now has his powers and it looks like he short circuited and killed Kilgrey in the process It confused me a little bit, and if any fans can enlighten me, you can go ahead and send me a message on the message boards, because I wasn't sure what to make of that scene there. Why he had to do this whole elaborate plan just to get Killary to stab him. So now with the powers of the internet, the birds of prey are on their computer, and all of a sudden, Calculator goes through the screen. He spotted them, and he sees Black Canary wheeling Oracle away in the wheelchair, and he recognizes her from one of their previous face-to-face meetings. They actually had a lunch date a while ago, and he says, I remember you. You know what happens to girls who break my heart. And now the Oracle Calculator Confrontation, which is going to be concluded next issue, the final issue of Birds of Prey.
0: Alright, so that brings us into Batman the Brain and the Bold, issue number one. Now, if you've been watching the TV show on Cartoon Network, this comic is directly based off of that show. Not story-wise but story setup-wise, where the first couple pages is Batman working with one person, then we get into the actual story, just as in Batman the Brave and the Bold on Cartoon Network, where Batman will have a little small interaction with one superhero taking out a supervillain, and then the credits will roll, and then goes into a whole different thing. They are actually... Well, I don't know about future issues, but in this one, they're actually kind of linking the two stories together so that they make a little more sense, since we don't have credits that roll in between. So the first thing starts off with Batman trying to take out Carpax, who's trying to take over Atlantis. Aquaman comes in, uses his powers to control some whale that basically knocks Carpax into a net. We don't really have to go into a whole lot of detail with these, these issues, just because a lot of it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, it doesn't follow continuity, and we just cover it because it has Batman in it, and it's a Batman title. So, the main chunk of this story, of this issue, is a story of Batman being called to London to help out because some creature's basically destroying London, heading towards Tower of London to grab the ground jewels of the United Kingdom. Now, this creature is... Huge, powerful, bigger than most buildings in London, taking out everything. Batman tries a couple things, tries to gas it, doesn't work. Then we find out that it's actually mad scientist Lex Luthor controlling this creature. Then we cut to a conference where Karen Starr is giving a speech and the building starts to rattle and she decides that This is not an earthquake, there's no earthquakes in London, and it changes into Power Girl. So Batman and Power Girl are trying to take out this creature, which they come to find out is actually created from a hundred innocent citizens. So, Power Girl and Batman are trying to tie it up. Power Girl decides she's going to take off and try to solve the issue on her own, leave Batman alone. She goes in, tries to take out evil scientists, Lex Luthor as they say, and he has a plan basically where... He has a red sun lamp so that she can't use her powers. She knocks him unconscious, and turns out to be that the ray controlling this creature is password protected. Batman and Power Girl decide that the password is Superman, stop the creature, reverse the effects, and once the effects are reversed, all the innocent people are fine. Lex Luthor gets arrested. Batman and Power Girl get a nice little medal from the Queen of England, and that is the end of the issue. Now what's kind of interesting is that they are putting in the back of these issues secret Bat-files, where they talk about the supervillain and the hero that appear in the comic itself. So in this one they talked about Lex Luthor and Power Girl and... I can only say that their information, their secret files, is definitely not correct as far as normal DCU continuity, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. So that's about the end of the issue. So that's going to bring us right into our review wrap-up, starting with Batman 685.
2: Okay, well, most of you have heard me, if this isn't your first episode of the podcast, review most of this story arc, and... I mostly have the same stuff to say. Paul Dini, awesome. I love where he's going with this Tommy Elliott stuff. Unfortunately, the artist, I'm going to say it again. I've said it before. Everybody's head looks like an Easter Island statue. And that just (laughs) takes me out of the story. The art is improving. And Paul Dini is doing awesome with this Tommy Elliott saga. And I'm really looking forward to where it goes. And the art didn't suck as much as it did during the RAP tie in, so I will give this 4 out of 5 batterings.
1: You know what, I'd like to chime in on that artwork. Dustin Gwynn, the one that's the artist on that, it looks like a lot of these artists are always rushed trying to, to meet deadlines. That's not his normal artwork. If you look at some of his artwork, and we've even posted them on the BatmanUniverse.net, uh, as far as our page on our podcast, Dustin Gwynn's artwork is not usually like that. So I got the feeling that he was rushed just to meet some, some sort of deadline.
0: Alright, so that's going to bring us to Batman Gotham After Midnight, issue number 9. All I can say is, this issue, as well as this entire series, is extremely disappointing. Steve Niles, in my opinion, he needs to stay away from Batman. And that's really, that's really harsh, but it's the truth. Kelly Jones, they need to get him out of the DCU altogether.
1: Oh, yeah. It's been years.
0: I Let like Marvel really, have him. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> like Kelly Jones' artwork. Steve Niles, he can do some good stuff sometimes but I, don't, I think he's better when it's about ghosts and zombies more so than it is about an actual major character within the DCU. All I can say is this 12-issue miniseries could have been completely summed up, and I haven't even read the last three issues yet, but I know that they could have summed this entire series up in probably four to six issues instead of having it as a 12-issue series. And it's really annoying because there's a lot of filler stuff, and I just can't stand when you have a comic that has filler stuff, but yet they give them 12 issues to tell a story that could be told in a lot smaller, so then they have a lot more space to do stuff that they don't need to do, and I'm still convinced that this April character is not dead, and it's only a matter of time before we find out somehow she's involved as being midnight or something like that, so... I'm only going to give this one out of five batterings. <laughs> going into Superman, Batman, Annual Number 3. I thought the story was okay. I thought it was a good take on an older World's Finest story. I think it was kind of interesting how Batman or Superman, both of them who don't like to kill people, convince the composite Superman-Batman to tear himself in half by playing mind games with him. I found that kind of not really likely. But overall, the story wasn't bad. It was an annual, so it was a little longer than no- most stories. But it seems like this issue could have came out after they got done with the Batman has pow- Superman's powers. They could have put this issue out after that story instead of putting it out in the middle. I'm only going to give this one 3 out of 5 batterings.
1: That takes us to Robin, 182. I really like Robin. I know I'm perhaps podcast josh has been the one to review these but robin has been a really good solid title i mean whether you like it or you hate it you're either going to like it or you hate it but i think fabian is doing an awesome job in writing freddie williams the second that's doing the artwork i mean it, it was amazing i like his red robin in this it, it looks like they can be fabian and uh, freddie if they stay together they can be an awesome team i really like this issue I, I hope robin gets to stay as the red robin the way he looked the way he was drawn in here because that looks really cool if, if they can just keep him like that i really like this issue i'm gonna go ahead and give it four out of five batterings.
2: score just touching on what you said about fabian and Freddie, i noticed in uh some of the credits for the books instead of having them credited as writer and artist it has them both credited together as storytellers which, mm-hmm. you know, just tells you the type of collaboration that they have. That's what they used to do in, like, the Marvel day, in the 60s. Like, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, storytellers. Uh, so yeah,
1: I mean, just like Alan Grant and, and Norm Brayfold. I mean, the storytellers, so.
2: Yeah, I hope that we can keep this team together. Birds of Prey. Okay. I think it was cool to get inside of the calculator's head, but he's always been... Like, they've kind of tried to uh, set up this rivalry in the past few years between him and Oracle. He's the bad computer guy. She's the good computer girl. And just having him turn into this killer robot that lives inside of the internet and that could come out of your computer and attack you. What the heck? I have no idea what the heck that was all about. And just the whole Kilgrey thing. He lives inside the internet, but he can't find Oracle. But if Calculator becomes Oracle, he can find her in one page. And the plan was really weird. He went to play them all off of each other, just so we can talk to Kilgrey and look at his headquarters and his hard drive thing. Why did he have to make up that story, just so he can talk to Kilgrey? I understand how he had to turn the others against him, but why he had to go to him himself, to make up that story, to look at the hard drive. Couldn't he just go in and look at it, talking to him about something else, instead of playing everyone off each other? And just the beginning was really, really weird. The whole sting operation in the park, with that was supposed to have a murder take place in front of the general public. And maybe that was just the artist's mistake. And having hunters jump out in broad daylight. That was a little weird too. It's not bad. It's just weird. And just, it doesn't have me saying, ugh. It just has me saying, huh? So, I think I'll give it two and a half out of five batterings.
0: Alright, so that'll bring us to our last one. Batman the Brave and the Bold, issue number one. Now, keep in mind... You can't review this one on the same kind of level as all the other bat books because it's not really a bad book. It's, It's meant for children. It's part of the Johnny D.C. line. You know, it's cheaper than a normal comic. It's meant for you to go buy it for your kids to get your kids introduced to them. Now, one thing I have to really give praise to is that the cover of this issue is cool because it shows a ton of characters that we could possibly see in the future of not only the TV show, but also the comic itself. Some of them who have already appeared in the TV show, and some of them who haven't. So, that that's kind of cool. I thought that cover was kind of cool. The story itself, my opinion, as reading it as, you know, a 20-something male, it's not a good story. But, it, like I said, it's not meant for 20-something adults. It's meant for your kids. So, the way we're going to judge the Batman, the Brave, and the Bold... Title from now until whenever they cancel it, which probably won't be until months after the series actually is canceled. But we're going to basically judge it on a good or no good. And I'd say for a first issue, this is a good one. It introduces Batman as the character that he should be perceived as in this series and not be confused at all with the normal Batman series. And it gives. The, it's the same basic thing as Batman the Brave and the Bold, the TV show, which is what it should be. It should be set up the same way, it should have the same little quirky attitude that it has, and the small little stupid comedic puns that really don't make a whole lot of sense to people our age, but are hilarious to people who are under the age of 10. So, I would say a good first issue. So, if you got kids, this might be a series to pick up for your kids to get them introduced to Batman all right so that's all of the comic reviews and that's our review wrap-up we are now going to discuss just a small little bit about some information about batman battle for the Cowl. now and there was an interview that was done back at new york comic-con that tony daniels basically said that there is going to be a villain that is going to come back someone we haven't seen for a while someone we wouldn't expect is going to come back during this battle for the Cal series that's the first part of what this discussion is about now the second part is that the solicitations for may came out and it shows on the cover of batman battle for the cow number three somebody who could be possibly construed as killer moth or charax in some kind of actual realistic form i don't know who it is who do you guys think that is
2: that was my first thought when I saw it. I just figured that it was another redesign of, I think he's Killer Moth again. I think he lost the Charax storm that he got during that god-awful 90s crossover. What was it? <laughs> it was, was it Final Night? What was the one where they were giving these villains all these upgrades? It was a Chuck Dixon issue of Robin, I remember. But yeah, I, I just figured that it was just a reimagining of Killer Moth.
1: I thought it was going to be Killer Moth also, and I think I hope it is. It's a real cool look if it is for him.
0: Okay, so that's who we were under the assumption. We haven't seen Killer Moth for a while, so maybe this is the character they're bringing back. Now, there was another thing that came out on the IGN Battle for the Cow mini website. There was a video, and we're going to play some of the audio right now so that you can hear exactly what we're talking about.
5: We've told so many stories with Bruce Wayne over the years. The most interesting thing about the character and what makes him so special and so unique is that he is conspicuous by his absence as well. He's a character that has really no superpowers, but can stand toe-to-toe with gods. When Batman is out of the room and not there, you still feel his presence. And we want to show the prolonged presence, not just the fact on how it affects the city, but also the people who have known him the best the most, and the changes in how they act and how they feel they should be able to replace him.
3: Battle for the Cal is a three-issue limited series uh, that we have coming out in March, which runs till
5: May.
6: It uh, revolves around the issues surrounding Gotham City after
3: the apparent death of Batman.
5: We know that Batman appears to be, at least Bruce Wayne appears to be lost in time, but everybody in Gotham City believes him to be dead. The newspapers are reporting and speculating, like, is Batman gone forever? So at this particular moment, the question is, is there a need for a Batman in Gotham City? And... All the heroes that have been inspired by Batman over the years converge on the city, but also all the villains which have fought him. Gotham City at this point in time is going through
3: a state of extreme turmoil. With the absence of Batman and the heroes in Gotham City having to readjust themselves to make up for that void, crime is on the rise. It's really kind of going into a downward spiral. We have rampant gangs
6: of vigilantes just uh, that were ordinary good people, but are trying to
5: take back their city on their own. Basically, Gotham City turns into a battleground, and you find the villains of Arkham Aloos, and the heroes that Batman aspired are starting to battle among themselves about who should be the one to take on the mantle, take on the cowl, but more importantly, what is the role of a Batman in Gotham, and how do they see filling that role?
6: The battle going on behind the scenes is the battle for the cowl, where we will have various characters trying to come and take the place of Batman.
5: The best part of the three Robins with the the disappearance of Batman is that you can see how unique they are in their own rights. The fact that they all stepped in and filled the role of Robin as the sidekick of Batman is what unites them, but who they are and how they react to the disappearance or the death of Bruce uh, makes them very different. You know, Jason steps up and says, I am Batman. He thinks he is the the heir to the crown. This is his return from the death is all about, is to fill that role.
6: He has a more brutal sense of uh, justice and uh, his own ideas as to what Batman should be like and who should be
3: Batman doesn't follow what some of the other characters believe. Dick Grayson um, is someone who had existed with Bruce Wayne and Batman for so long and you know was his protege, but for almost the same amount of time that he was with Batman, he's been away doing his own thing as Nightwing, so he's really been his own man, his own person. He's decided, I've tried it, it's not for me, I didn't, didn't like what I became, and um,
6: he thinks that they can handle things on their own And he has something to prove Can he handle it as, as Nightwing? Can he step into the front and be what Bruce Wayne was? Dick is
3: approaching things thinking that perhaps The Batman legacy should end with Bruce uh, Perhaps there is no one else that can be Batman um, You know, We can go on being Nightwing, go on being Robin Go on being Catwoman and Batgirl But Batman should, should just be Bruce
5: Tim Drake, on the other hand doesn't think Batman's dead at all. He's the thinker of the bunch, so he's the one who goes through it and says, "You know what? I'm not even sure if he's actually dead," and goes on the quest to find him. Well, usually
3: he's you know a person who's um, very methodical and thinks things out. He might be reacting more on gut instinct and raw emotion uh, after these recent events. And Tim is definitely going to think that the Batman
5: role should be filled immediately because Gotham City needs its protector. The best part about Battle for the Cal is who's ever been touched by Batman's shadow, whether hero or villain, will be appearing in the story. Uh, We're going to see the return of one of the villains we thought dead, and more importantly, his return is the trigger for so much of the chaos that takes place within Gotham City. Penguin
3: and Two-Face are going to seize this opportunity to try to wrest control from the other one and take Gotham as their own. Um, And then... Spoiling things even more, there'll be a third player who enters the scene who Two-Face and Penguin definitely weren't expecting, and this other character, this other villain, will make an even bigger mess out of Gotham City.
0: As they said, there's going to be... Two-Face is going to have one side of the villains, Penguin's going to have the other, and the villains are basically trying to do what they always do when Batman's not around, which is take over stuff. Now, what's interesting is that... They are trying to take over stuff, but as they said in that interview, there is a third villain that emerges, that no one's expecting, and kind of throws everybody off guard. Now, what you can't see, because you're listening to the podcast, is that while they're playing that, they're showing some interior art of one of the Battle for the Cow pages. Not colored, just penciled, and... They're showing the face of Black Mask. Now, this plays into a couple different points of what has been said in the past. Someone we haven't seen for a while. We haven't seen Black Mask for a while. Someone who, who we think is dead. Well, he got shot in the head. As you listen to episode 26 of the Batman Universe podcast, we did a... In our spotlight character, we did Black Mask. And at the end of the Black Mask biography... We clearly stated that Catwoman shot him in the face. So, he would be construed as he is dead. So we think he's dead. So that plays into it as well. Black Mask would play in perfectly with this story and Apple's going to tell us why.
1: Black Mask, of course, the whole basis of what Black Mask is is that he wants to be the the undeniable leader of the underworld of Gotham's underworld. And so putting him between Penguin and Two-Face, this would be perfect for him to make a comeback. And really to be, I guess, brought in inside the the new story and, and bring him in, have him control Gotham's underworld. And if you've read whatever issue of Black Mask, you know how ruthless this guy can be. And so I think it's just fitting that he comes back and fits in into this role.
2: This would also exonerate Catwoman because, you remember, before one year later, she just shot Black Mask in the face, so she wouldn't have that blood on her hands anymore.
0: Apple and I discussed this when we watched the video in the first place last week, and then we started doing the deductions of whether or not this could work, and it seems like it could, and the fact that they're showing Black Mask on a piece of art that, in my opinion, if they're trying to keep this character secret, they're not really doing a good job, and that is my only form of doubt when it comes to maybe it's not Black Mask is if they're not saying blatantly hey it's Black Mask who's coming back why are they showing art but everything else is so secretive so it's just kind of interesting maybe they're just hoping that because he hasn't been around for a while you're going to forget about him I don't know but I'm pretty convinced that it's Black Mask at this point I mean only time will tell I'm sure we'll see something because I'm sure those that art that they showed wasn't from issue number three. It was probably from issue number one. And if it is, then we'll find out in a couple weeks whether or not it is Black Mask.
1: Yeah, I mean, why would you have him in the panel? And he's sitting right in the panel that kind of, Todd McFarlane kind of made famous with the with the Spider-Man and the Hulks where you have that one face along the side and then you have the other panels like right in the middle of the of the left side. And you could plainly see Plain as day, that's Black Mask. I, I don't know if they're who they're gonna play it off of, but it looks like Black Black Mask and Tony Daniels. It, it looked like a wonderful pencil piece, the one that they showed on the on the reveal. So yeah, I mean, not much of a secret, <laughs> not for Batman fans.
2: The only thing that I'm hoping is if you remember before One Year Later, and I believe it was War Games and On. Black Mask was basically like the villain in all the Batman books. He was like behind every plot and he was in every issue and he had his little like headquarters in that high rise tower and I just kind of got sick of him and like, oh, Black Mask is the mastermind and he's the new Kingpin and they were just playing his role up and I thought it was ridiculous based on what his role had been before that he was kind of shoehorned. So, if, but you know, if they can write him well and differently and this whole rivalry with the Penguin, I'm on board.
0: Alright, so that's all we're going to talk about for the discussion this time, because we did have a lot of comics to cover and we don't want to make this episode too long. Let's throw it over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners and let's hear all about Batman Venom.
4: Well, finally we've got a really decent story arc out of the Legends of the Dark Knight series of just literally finished reading Venom and I had to get on here and record this straight away because I really really enjoyed it. So to start with welcome back to BBFB. I'm your host Nick and today we're looking at as I said Venom. The fourth story arc in the Legends of the Dark Knight series and the last one that I'm going to be reviewing so we're going to be moving on to something different next time. But we're going to leave the Legends of the Dark Knight series, but we're going out on a bang. Thank God, it's been pretty weak so far, but finally we got something of really good quality. Now the books written by Dennis O'Neill, who really is the main contributor to this book, In his history, his he's had a 1970s run on the Batman comic, and it's perhaps best known that he was working hard on getting the character back to its darker roots after a period dominated by the campiness of the 1960s TV show uh, and tried to emphasise Batman's detective skills. Uh, this grimmer and more sophisticated Dark Knight, as well as some new villains such as uh, Raz al Ghul, which O'Neill came up with, brought Batman back from the verge of pop culture oblivion And uh, his work would influence later incarnations of Batman from the Bruce Timm animated series to the movie Batman Begins, for example. And he worked through a lot of big events in Batman's career, like the death of Jason Todd. And the artwork in this book is by Russell Braun and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. So, let's just get on with the story then.
0: You know something.
4: The book starts with Batman failing to save a young girl from drowning. He's distraught by his failure, and as a result he resorts to taking a new drug called Venom to improve his abilities out of the guilt of his failure. He gets this drug from the little girl's father called Dr. Porter. He becomes consumed by the addiction and loses himself to the drug. Batman unleashes himself upon the streets and he doesn't follow the strict code that he himself has set out as Batman. Alfred recognises this and resigns from his services. General Slaycroft and Dr. Porter realise that they have control over Batman thanks to this drug, and they try to use him to kill Commissioner Gordon, who is on to them both. Batman accepts the mission, however he doesn't kill his friend Gordon, but he warns him of Porter and Slaycroft. He then rushes back to them while they're trying to escape to a plane. However they do get away thanks to Batman's weakness towards Venom. They just offer some Venom and Batman takes it and lets them go. After their escape Bruce realizes he has to go cold turkey and get off this Venom stuff. He decides to lock himself into the Batcave for a month with Alfred's help bricking up the walls and locking all the entrances. Meanwhile, the Doctor and the General have arrived in Santa Prisca and are experimenting their drug, creating some super soldiers, including the General's son. Bruce eventually comes out of the cave a month after he went in. He looks a complete mess. He's even got a beard, which I thought was a great little touch, a bat beard. And he decides to go after the Doctor and the General to get them for what they've done. He arrives at Santa Prisca with Alfred. I don't know why Alfred came, there was no actual explanation but Alfred came along anyway. Uh, There's some jungle action, some pretty good fighting scenes. Batman has to save Alfred from some sharks. He gets trapped in a dungeon. He gets out. There's a final confrontation. And the reason I'm not telling you all exactly what happens in a normal way is because that's exactly how I felt the ending was. It was a bit sloppy. Tons of things going on at once. It's all a bit stupid. And it was such a shame after a really good build-up.
1: Sorry to disappoint.
4: Well, I've got a lot to say about Venom. So I'm just going to jump through the points really quickly. So I felt there was a really great intro to the book to start off with by O'Neill about drug addiction and how it applies to Batman so well as he's a normal man unlike most superheroes. I thought it showed us how interesting that area can be and it's the best intro to a book I've ever read out of any of the Batman ones so far. The slow drowning of the girl used quite haunting imagery at the start of the book and it was quite effective in... Shocking the reader into quite a gruesome death. There's a really good line from Alfred later, as soon as he gets back from that, and he he asks Bruce, did you expect you would never fail? Which was interesting, because as a reader, we always expect Batman to succeed, but of course, in the real world, that would never happen. A little criticism I had was that Dr. Porter, I felt, was obviously a villain, right from the start. I think the first time we see him, I thought, this guy's a bit dodgy, because... His daughter had just died, being drowned by some criminals, and he didn't seem to care at all. He was smiling, I think. And I, and I just thought, that's so obvious. He's going to turn out to be a bad guy, or he's involved with his daughter's death, or something like that. So I thought that was pretty weak there. And Later on, they d- he does mention that he's taking drugs to try and repress thoughts about his daughter, but it was near the end of the book, so it, it didn't work for me. There was a really, really good moment when Batman first takes the drug, Venom, and then he he goes out and beats up some guys, and he goes a bit crazy. And the artwork, um, it had the um, ha-ha-ha-ha-ha sort of Joker laugh thing underneath Batman's face, and it looked just like a Joker laugh. And I thought it was a really good way of making it look like Batman has become... His own worst enemy, the Joker. Batman's become as bad as the Joker. He's become the complete opposite of what he stands for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In this book, there were some really great Alfred interactions. Some of the best I've ever seen in a Batman book, because I think sometimes Alfred is just not used, and sometimes he's not used in the right way. And in this book, I thought they had a really great relationship and it worked perfectly well. Apart from when it gets to the final act of the story, Alfred, as I said, comes to the Santa Prisca for no apparent reason, apart from the fact he's obviously going to be used as a hostage. And oh, surprise, surprise, that happens. He becomes some stupid damsel in distress. And it's a shame because they did so well with him in the first two acts. A couple of great moments. Batman threw a fridge at a car. That was pretty cool. Um, another good moment when Batman goes cold turkey, locks himself in the bat cave, comes out with a beard, looked really good. A really good line, when the general shot his own son with a gun, uh, the doctor said, do you feel any pain? And the son said, no. But he looked pretty pissed off with his dad. We get a bit of action with Batman in the Jungle. It's fun, but it's a bit silly, and it doesn't really link well with the first two acts. And it starts to look a bit a bit camp and stupid, especially when he starts wrestling with sharks. And there's even, I noticed, a, a nod to the Adam West Batman because uh, he mentions you might want to get some shark repellent spray or something like that. And I thought that just confirmed, yep, we're in a camp area here. As I mentioned, I thought the ending was too jumpy and sloppy. It's going all over the place and it felt like it wasn't thought through well enough which was a real shame because the first two acts built it up so well. I thought there was an excellent moment near the end where the Doctor said that he will win in the end, but then we found out the Doctor died a bit later, although those of us who have read Nightfall and know how that turns out know that Venom will return, and Batman's going to have a bit of an issue with that as well later on. Very good series. Some people aren't too keen on it, but I can't wait till I get to review that because I think it's one of my favourites. The artwork in the book is dated to a certain extent and looks like something one would see in the 70s and 80s Batman comics. That doesn't mean it's bad, I actually quite like it, but it depends if you like that style or not. It's a bit retro, but I I like it. So, uh, all in all, it's such a shame because the story is so good, but if I'm putting Batman Year 1 with a 5 out of 5 Batarangs, I can't give this 5 out of 5 purely because of the ending. Yeah, as I said, it's too sloppy, and it it can't warrant 5 out of 5. As a result, I'm going to have to give it 4.5 Batarangs out of 5. Really enjoyed it, though. Great story. Definitely one of my favourites so far, and um, every Batman fan should read it. Yeah, I know. So that was Batman Venom. As you can see, I really enjoyed it. It's well worth reading. can be hard to find online or wherever, but um, it's well worth... Looking for it, it's really good. Uh, Next time I'm going to be reviewing Batman Year 2. As we leave Legends of the Dark Knight, we're going to move on to the second year of Batman's crime-fighting career. And this one, it can divide people a lot. Um, Most people weren't that happy with it. Some people say it's underrated. You'll find out what I think about it next time. But just looking at the front cover of it, it's Batman with a gun. A lot of people have issues with that. So Get on the forums, by the way. There's not enough of you guys on the forums. We need a bit more interaction there. What did you think of Venom? Does anyone disagree with me? I'd like to hear why. Um, I thought it was brilliant. The artwork was amazing. you got some pretty great um, images of Batman when he's looking pretty creepy. So get on those forums. Give me a bit of... Um... We've got a reading list as well, so you can you guys can get further ahead. Find out what books I'm going to be doing. I think I've got about the next five or six books I'm going to be doing on there. Then once I get near the end of that group, I'll put up the next bunch of books that I'll be doing, just so you guys can get ahead. If you want to contact me, um, I'm Nick Nightwing on the forums. Send me a message if you've got any questions, if you're struggling to find a book, let me know. That's it from BBFB this time, so goodbye from Nick, and remember, keep reading.
0: All right, so that was Batman Venom. That my opinion was a pretty decent book i don't know what your guys' opinion of that storyline is but i thought batman venom was one of the best if not the best stories that came out of legends of the dark knight
2: i haven't read it in about five or six years i do remember of the all the early legends of the dark knight ones i am going to agree with you there that that was the highlight and i remember the art was very good that's the one we're in like the first part yeah that Little girl drowns, and Batman keeps on fixating on it, and it keeps on going back to that panel. That was spooky, and that's comic artwork that's, like, stayed with me. And Batman kind of having that evil grin... That was powerful stuff.
1: Yeah, I I I like that issue. It, it it was uh one of those books that when they were coming out like with the, the graphic novels, it, it became very popular for for comic fans to go ahead and get as many, you know, graphic novels as you can. Batman Venom, I mean I loved it. It kinda just showed the human side to Batman.
0: I think the, the one of the best parts was Batman with a beard.
1: <laughs> Viking Batman. Yeah, Viking Batman. <laughs>
0: All right, so let's go on to our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. On March 4th, we have Batman Cacophony, number three of three, and hopefully they do not delay this in the next week since it's already been delayed over a month now. Mm -hmm. And then we have the very first issue of the Battle for the Cowl stuff with Gotham Gazette, Batman Dead. That'll be a one-shot. Then we go over to March 11th, and we have Superman Batman, number 56, which is another issue that's been delayed a lot lately. I'm not sure why. Then we have Batman Confidential, number 27, which continues the story of King Tut. Then we have Batman Battle for the Cowl, number one of three, which we'll be extremely looking forward to. Mm -hmm. Then, as we talked about earlier, Catwoman, The Long Road Home, the trade paperback, and the very last issue of Simon Dark, with Simon Dark, number 18. I'm kind of glad it will be the last issue. (laughs) all right so the next podcast we are going to be covering batman and the outsider special nightwing number 153 batman number 686 batman confidential number 26 robin number 183 and simon dark number 17 it's over for now now as a little side note We want your guys' opinions. As we've been talking about, we're changing a bunch of stuff on the website. But one of the things we'd like to know is if you guys want us to do the comic reviews a little differently. Give us some feedback on the forums or email us at comicpodcast at thebatmanuniverse.net or go on to the forums and leave your comments under the episode. As this is episode number 14, leave your comments about how you think the comic reviews can go differently. As you know, we, we try to stick a month back so that you have a chance to pick them up yourself and read them, but there's some of you out there who don't pick them up and read them and just want to hear the reviews, and we realize that we are not the most current podcast as far as reviewing them as soon as they come out, but we might be able to change that, but it's all depending on whether or not there's actually a, a desire for us to do that. So... Let us know your opinions, your comments, your suggestions. Most importantly, let us know your criticisms, because we always want to improve. Mm
1: -hmm. So,
0: that is about all we have for this episode. Email us, as always, comicpodcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. Go on to the forums, leave us reviews on iTunes. Let us know what you want to hear for a discussion for the next podcast. We can't always guarantee that there's some kind of breaking news that deserves a lot of talk. So, we are open for any kind of discussion you might want to hear us talk about. So this is Dustin. This is Apple. You got Josh. And you have been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We will see you guys next time.
1: Take care, guys.